0: I invite you to stand with me for the reading of the word today. Our gospel passages are from the gospel of John and Luke, but let's pray before we begin. Lord Jesus, Son of the living God, through your spirit with us today, would you open our ears to hear the words you have for us today? As a congregation and each of us individually, we thank you for your kindness and your patience toward us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we'll begin with John chapter 1, verse 40 through 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And then Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. Now during those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and he spent the night in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot. Who became a traitor. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated. Names are important. They tell us stuff about Peter, about people, right? That's what we hear in this a lot of names and a lot of a lot of Peter's name. You can see my name in the bulletin, Joy Elizabeth Lawrence. That is actually not my whole name. I have a four-name name. name. When Justin and I married, I, I wanted to keep my family name, so I hyphenated my first and middle given names and made that my first name. If you ever wondered, that's why. It's kind of a boring story. But you know what isn't boring? My name that's not in the bulletin. It is Johan. There it is. My kindergarten teacher couldn't spell it right. My mom had to send back my paper corrected. So it is a weird name, it's hard to spell, and there's actually some family disagreement about whether or not we should Americanize the pronunciation. Fleder Johann is such an unusual German surname, I was once asked by German Germans if my ancestors were Jewish because, according to these friends, Hitler would often rename Jewish families with terrible-sounding German names. But my family had immigrated to the United States years before World War II. Flater, the first part of that name there, is in fact an old geographical term in German. It means an area of brittle wet grassland or a stretch of land where water is able to spread without infiltering easily. Basically, it means clay. It's interesting that my family immigrated from one Flater in Saxony to another in Ohio. Um, <laughs> It's a weird name, but it it has meaning and roots and significance, and I like it, and that's why I kept it. Now, my surname, Lawrence, much easier to pronounce, it's an ancient Anglo-Saxon name. And although I do have Anglo-Saxon ancestry, this particular branch of the Lawrence family is an imposter. Lawrence was an Ellis Island name. It was selected by Lars Headland. He chose it. It wasn't imposed on him when he immigrated from Sweden in 1902. Lars Hedlund was my husband, Justin's great-grandfather. That's my name. That's who I am. It tells you a little bit about my family history and my relationship in marriage, and I didn't even tell you about my first name. Uh, my mother had a colleague when she was an elementary school teacher, and her colleague's name was Joy Cash, and I got the joy part. And then Elizabeth is a family name. It's my mom's name and my great grandmother's name. Names provide identity. And this is a biblical theme throughout Scripture. And here, too, in the first sketches of Peter, we see this heavy emphasis on his name. So look at this passage here in John chapter 1. It says the name Simon four times, Peter two times, and Cephas once, including son of John, which I did not count. So if you count all these up, it's seven. Seven out of 57 Greek words, which is 12% of the words in this section. This is not really boring to me, at least. Um, So 12% of the words in this section are devoted to the character Peter. Only three of the words are Jesus' name, all three different names. I mean, this paragraph is about Simon slash Cephas slash Peter. Really, his name was Simon Johnson. All you Swedes can identify with this. <laughs> Simon was actually one of the most common names in the first century. Sort of Simon was the, of the first century was like Jennifer of the 1970s or, or Emma of 2014 and 15, but for boys born 2,000 years ago, Simon. But Jesus looks at this guy with this very, very normal name, Simon Johnson, and he renames him. That's our story for today. But I want to look at this looking for a bit. Andrew, his brother, brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him. Now, in in Greek, this looking isn't just a glance. It, It isn't passive. It is the same way a naturalist might study a flower, or the way a painter her subject. Jesus looked at him. What did Jesus see when he looked at Peter or Simon at that point? A fisherman, certainly, a a small business owner, brash, impetuous. Commentator after commentator make the astute observation that Peter, at the beginning of the story, is nothing like a rock. He can't hold it together. Peter frequently says the wrong thing at the wrong time. I mean, if Peter had a car, it would have been a clunker, but its bumper sticker would have been full of stickers. They would have said things like, I might be stubborn and opinionated, but at least I'm not fake, or if it's not about fishing, don't ask me, or have a carpy day. I mean, just to guess, Peter didn't have a car, obviously, but there he is, full impetuous stealth, standing before Jesus with his brother, Andrew. Now, Andrew has already spent the day with Jesus, and with this deep missional vigor he has gone out and recruited Peter to show him who he's found and so there they stand Peter probably hasn't bathed since he was last out on the water he smelled like fish and and from his years in the sun his hands probably look a lot older than his 20 or so years his eyes are lined from squinting too much Jesus stands there looking at him, studying him, discerning. I always find a, a theological challenge at this point in the text because as we affirm Jesus' full identity as God and his full identity as human, right, he, he's not some mystical mind reader. He does know what is in each person, But he is discerning through his partnership with the spirit. He can read Peter's character, his motivation. If Jesus were to ever ask Peter, Peter, how you doing? And Peter said, fine. Jesus would know what that meant. Jesus is the best judge of character ever. But how long did he stand there looking at Peter? How long did they stand there in silence? Distant chirping of the cormorants, Peter brushing away that horsefly that keeps landing on his neck. But then it's Jesus who breaks the silence. I imagine Jesus looking at Peter and nodding and saying, You are Simon Johnson. You are to be called Petros, Peter. And there it is. Peter's journey of transformation through relationship with Christ begins then and there with the new name rock. Now, this name, Cephas, is Aramaic, which was the language that Jesus was speaking when all this happened. And that stands for the Greek word petros, which means rock. It does not mean a stone. I'm sorry, Michael Card, your book is great, but it doesn't mean a stone. It doesn't mean a little pebble. It means a big rock, which you can see in our images there, right? And and in naming Peter, Jesus is demonstrating his authority over him. And and this isn't a bad thing, right? We show our authority in naming all the time. Parents name their children. Pet owners name their pets. This demonstrates relational structure. And Jesus, the rabbi teacher to the disciples, names Peter first. But notice, notice this. He he doesn't say, now you're rock." Today, you're rock. Right now, this is your nickname today that starts beginning now. He says, you will be. This is future tense. Simon, you're not a rock yet. You have a long way to go. It's like this name is too big for him. You will be. And in naming Peter, Jesus is mirroring one of God's habits that we can observe throughout Scripture. Our God has a habit of naming people. We can go back to the beginning. In Genesis 12, we begin reading about a guy named Abram, which means exalted father. And Abram and God begin a covenant relationship. Now, we hear this language a lot, but I want to be really clear. This is what a covenant relationship is. It's when two partners make a binding promises to each other to work together to reach a common goal. A covenant is not a contract, it's not a business or legal agreement, it's relational, it is personal. And this covenant relationship goes on for quite a while, and five chapters in, God says to Abram, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, exalted father. But your name shall be Abraham, father of many nations. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Now, at this point, it's kind of funny to the reader because Abram and his wife Sarai have not yet had a baby. And here, God is saying, ancestor of a multitude of nations? Father of many nations, exceedingly fruitful. What's going on here? I think this name is too big for you, Abram, Abraham, sorry. But God keeps his covenant. Abraham becomes the father of Isaac, and Isaac becomes the father of Jacob and Esau, and Jacob, who also gets a name changed from God into Israel, becomes the father of 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. Abraham, therefore, is later on in scripture described as the rock, the foundation on which the people of Israel are built. You see, This is the connection between Abram and Peter, Abraham. We see this in Isaiah 51. Listen to me, you that pursue righteousness, you that seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, but I blessed him and made him many. The rock here is Abraham, the foundation of the people of Israel. And so when Peter, when Jesus names Simon Peter or Petros, he is using the same typology Peter is going to be to Christianity what Abraham was to the Hebrew people. His name, Rock, is demonstrative of the leader he will become. Not yet. (laughs) Simon Peter becomes the representative disciple. The first to confess his sinfulness to Jesus. The first, as we heard in the song, to confess who Jesus is, the first to proclaim the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and what that means for the church and the first leader of the church. But all this stuff is in the future. It's not in the present. I kind of wonder why Jesus didn't wait, you know. He, he could have waited a little bit on in the story to give Peter his name. He could have waited to tell Simon that he was going to become the rock, the Petros, but he didn't. Jesus spoke it up front the first time they meet. You will be rock. Way to raise the bar, Jesus. I think that's what Jesus does a lot. Jesus is giving Peter a name that's just too big for him. The rock has not yet been formed. But the gospel story gives us a window, and this is what we're going to be looking at this Lent, to see the rock's formation, the pressure, the weather, the experiences, the blows, the drip, drip, of the living water of Christ that forms this squinty fisherman into a saint. Saint Peter, who died a martyr under the rule of Nero, who requested that his crucifixion be upside down because he considered himself unworthy to die in the same manner as Christ. That's how it ends except it didn't end. It didn't end with Peter's death. We are here today carrying on Christ's work that began with Peter. And he was the foundation for all of this all around the world. Peter, the rock, was the ancestor, the faith ancestor of a multitude of nations, our father in the faith. Look look at us today, and even thinking about what Bob shared about Congo. We're we're a small church in Hensdale, but we have connections all around the world with God's work and the church. We have connections through our family ancestry and relationships. You, You heard some of mine, and I know some of yours that you've shared with me. We have connection throughout the world through our mission partnerships and our prayer for God's work in Congo or China or India or Colombia or France. Or wherever the spirit leads. And this gospel reach throughout the world is all because of God's work through Peter. It's because Peter the Rock learned that Jesus, that that, that this good news of Jesus isn't just for Jewish people. It's also for us Gentiles. He opened that up for us. And this has provided a foundation of faith for us and the church around the world. It's included us in that story of Abraham. Peter, the name wasn't too big for you. It wasn't too big for you at all. And I believe that that same Jesus who looked at Peter on that day long ago in Galilee is here with us too, inviting us to recognize that we also are called to be disciples of him, just like Peter. And the Holy Spirit can use Peter's story of transformation to form us into faithful disciples of Jesus. So this is what we're going to do today as a response to God's word. We're going to practice a kind of prayer that I'm going to call letting Jesus look at us. Right? I, we recognize the, the omnipotence of God through the Spirit, but we don't always live into that in the moment. So I'm going to guide us through a, a simple prayer of response. You don't have to say anything or do anything external, but I do encourage you to to be engaged mentally through your imagination. You can just stand there, really, but join me in your heart and mind. So I invite you to stand, if you're able, and and then, and then, Posture yourself in a way that you imagine Peter might have stood before Jesus. Did, did he stand like this? Did he stand, you know, was he, How open was he and how open are you today to the Lord? And I invite you to close your eyes and let Jesus look at you. Let Jesus look at you. He looks at you the way a botanist might study a flower, knowing each part seeing how beautifully it's created. When Jesus looks at you, he has so much joy and love, and he knows all of you. He knows all of you from the moment you were conceived. He knows your body. He knows the bruises or the cuts. He knows what part of you is is working or what's not. He knows today where you're experiencing sickness or physical pain. And he knows if physical pain is coming from grief or a a pinched nerve or something else. So let Jesus look at you. He knows you. Let Jesus look at your heart. Jesus looks at you the way A a jeweler studies a rock before it's it's carved into a gemstone. Jesus sees your longings, the hopes you haven't yet articulated. And and Jesus, he knows what you're hiding. He knows the things that you haven't even put words to, the fears that you have, the sin that you're hiding, the, the shame that follows you around. Let Jesus look at you and see who he wants you to become. And now, just as he did with Peter, let Jesus name you. I'm not saying you need to have a new name come in your mind, but just be open to that. Jesus, what is your calling for me? How would you name me? And it's not a name you can live into right now. It's a name that's too big, a name that you have to grow into, be transformed into the way a rock is carved from the slow, slow drip, drip of the water. And my friends, Jesus is that water. Jesus has identities and names for all of us, and this will never be contrary to the teachings of Scripture Jesus' name for us will be an identity that God has had in store for us all along. So let Jesus name you. There might be a certain vulnerability you you feel. This is healthy and normal and real, Jesus is the creator of the world. (laughs) But what a privilege it is to be loved and known and named and seen by the creator, by the redeemer, by the sanctifier, by the healer. Let Jesus look at you. Let Jesus name you. And so we'll end our time of silent prayer today with a prayer of confession. We confess our sin to receive the forgiveness of Christ and as a promise of turning from our own way to God's way, which is part of the practice of Lent. If you feel the weight of sin today, Jesus offers forgiveness But I would encourage you pastorally that there is always wisdom in confessing sin to people and to Jesus because within a community or a relationship, God can help provide accountability and encouragement. So if during this confession you feel led to talk to someone, I'd encourage you to reach out to a a pastor or a trusted mature Christian so that God can use the community of faith to help you grow into the person that Jesus knows you can become. So I encourage you to open your eyes now and we'll read this prayer of confession together. We'll pray it together. Let us pray. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image through Jesus Christ, the one who sees us amen. Jesus has seen us. Jesus forgives us our sins. And so as we continue in this season, let us follow in the footsteps of Peter, our Lord's disciple.